0: Hola, como estás? Wie geht's? How are you? Hello, everybody. What a lovely Friday afternoon surprise. <laughs> I have a little bit of time, and I wanted to say hi to everyone. And uh, in, in a shocking development, you're going to hear me complain. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how much of my life I've spent complaining publicly on the Internet. Um, I believe it's about four and a half lifetimes of regular... Hey, good day, Steph. I just finished the It Sucks to be Good show. Incredible stuff. Boy, thank you. You know, I got to tell you, I'm never satisfied with what I put out. I mean, I'm happy with what I put out, and I feel that great rush of truth when it happens, but I always feel I can do better. That's why I keep going. I I don't know the people who just keep doing the same thing over and over would drive me mad. But, hi from Israel. Love your show. Helped me a lot philosophically Heels, man. Well, I appreciate that. And hello to um, the Middle Eastern uh, vaccine <laughs> enclosure known as Israel. Hope you guys are doing all right. And listen, if you guys have yearning burning questions, I am totally happy to hear them. This is an AMA for you. To me, you can run things through. And yeah, don't. if you are a, a member on Locals, uh, please don't forget to scroll back. There are many, 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 many podcasts and conversations out there that never made the general light of day uh, for various reasons i'm sure you will be aware when you listen to them but please please check them out uh, you can find that of course at freedomain.locals.com as i generally predicted, of course bitcoin is now hovering in the high 60s canadian uh that's because again they want to step it up but not to the point where they have it becomes a volatile they've got to take it out of more conservative accounts uh how do i take my eyes off the train wreck that is current culture slash politics That's a very good question. It's a very good question. And it is a form of masochism and a very strong and potent form of masochism to imbibe horrors that you cannot change. Right To imbibe horrors that you cannot change. So if you're staring and we don't have to go through the list. I mean, the list is a little different for everyone, right? But if you're going through... Oh, the, the, the feed and, and reading and this disaster and that disaster and this mess and that mess. If it spurs you into some kind of peaceful and rational action, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe. But you have to be really aware of whether you can or cannot change things. If it paralyzes you, then you are recreating an anxiety situation from your childhood, right? So I, I talk about this in the free book, Real-Time Relationships, freedomain.com forward slash books where a guy becomes a boxer because he spent his whole life being beaten up as a kid. He couldn't control whether he was beaten up, being beaten up, but he could control his emotional reactions to being beaten up. It was the only sense of control that he had, was controlling his emotional reactions to being beaten up. So then if he's not being beaten up, he feels out of control, which is why he becomes a boxer and spends his whole life in a physical fight. So when you grow up with danger and anxiety and stress and trauma in your childhood, you have to be very, very careful that you don't go out and court that And recreate your childhood in the adult world. Trust me, I've I've stared deep in the mirror over the last 16 years with regards to this, to make sure that I'm not out there recreating the stress and danger and trauma and horrors of my childhood, you know, by poking the various wasps' nests into the world and of the world until bad things happen. So if you are looking at, you know, the the news feeds and so on, you have to be well, you don't have to be. I would suggest you gotta be kind of disciplined. You got to be kind of disciplined, and if you are constantly stressed and upset and and traumatized and disturbed by what's going on in the world, but you're not in a position to change it, and uh, you know one of the very interesting things with politics since twenty fifteen was uh, you know a whole bunch of people said, well, I'm not really sure if politics can really be used to change things, but let's try voting in one of the most charismatic and popular and wealthy individuals in American history, to the presidency just to see if politics can change, right? So if you're better known, wealthier, more politically savvy, uh, more confident than Trump, uh, maybe you can step out and, and see how it goes. But for most of us, not really an option, if that makes sense. So that was a giant experiment as to see whether politics could be used to affect the will of the people that has been going back a long time. And the majority of Democrats don't like immigration policies. But uh, anyway, so be careful that you're not just reading these horrors to recreate stress and anxiety because you're used to managing stress and anxiety because when you were a kid that's all you had to do and, and that was the only sense of efficacy you were allowed, And if that's the case for you. so It can't... The state has never historically ended well in society. It just doesn't end well. I mean, if it could be reformed, if it could be managed, it could be controlled, then I wouldn't be an advocate for a stateless society. I wouldn't be a voluntarist, right? I wouldn't be like, we can't have a state because it always turns toxic. Uh, Human beings cannot handle power. (laughs) Basic fact, human beings cannot handle power. And so the way that you gain power over human beings is you tell them that there's a form of exploitation that doesn't involve lying and force. Right? How do you how do you enslave people? You tell them that there's a form of exploitation that doesn't involve direct lying or force. In other words, force and fraud in, in a rational empirical moral society, force and fraud are the only fundamental crimes, right? And and fraud is not like, uh, hey baby, I uh, my other car is a Lamborghini when you're driving a Lada from 1972. But fraud is you make a commitment on paper, signed, documented to do something, and then you don't do it, and then you keep the money, right? That's just theft. It's just paper theft, right? Some some people steal with a gun, uh, some people steal with with paper cuts, right? And and all of that. And that's the big question about the Theranos trial, the trial at the moment, the Elizabeth. Holmes and Sonny Balwani trial is uh, you know did they did they lie to investors? Now there's always some you know every every person in the venture capital world who has a business says my business is going to change the world and revolutionize this and I'm going to aim to get eighteen eighty percent of this market and it's emerging and 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 it's revolutionary. Nobody says you know well I I don't really like working for other people. I think this has got a shot. And you know for venture capitalists, eighteen out of twenty businesses that they fund go completely. My, my old business partner used to call it augering in, like argh, you just auger into the ground to the point where you, every move you make drills you in further, and you can't get back out. He also referred to a potential divorce as asset mitosis. He had quite a turn of phrase, that guy. So the only way that you can be exploited is through force and and fraud, right? Fraud is, of course, exploiting you because it is taking money from you for the provision of a service. That service is neither provided, neither is the... The service is not provided, neither is the money returned, so it's just a way of stealing uh, from you. And a force, of course, is direct exploitation. Uh, if somebody puts a gun in your ribs and takes your wallet, then they've just exploited you, right? They've, they've taken your resources against your will. And so force and fraud are the only forms of exploitation. And the the sole purpose of mostly leftists, but the sole purpose of leftists is to try to convince you that there's a form of exploitation other than FF, right, force and fraud, that you are exploited if you are underpaid, that you are exploited if you marry a guy and you end up not liking him or not respecting him, then somehow he owes you money and, and you've been exploited and so on. You are exploited if uh, you don't have as many resources as you feel you deserve. You are exploited if you're not as successful as you want to be or compared to some other individual or, or group or whatever. And so once you break this dam where exploitation becomes things you don't like rather than force or fraud, then you are in an infinity hellstorm of escalating. Whack a mole for all inequalities that that create more inequalities until totalitarianism is achieved. So let's see here. Uh, What do we got here? Love your show. Thank you very much. Very nice. So yeah, take take your I mean look, you you can't you can't fix the state, man. Like you if we could fix the state, we would be fixing the state, right? It's like saying, can you fix slavery? Can you reform? Slavery? No. You can't reform slavery. Uh, you can only... Um, well, it's an institution that needs to be. Uh, people need to be talked out of, right? Same thing with the state. Uh, I have started pricing sex dolls. Well, there's your gift for you. <laughs> I've started pricing sex dolls, but I feel like if I took that step, there's no turning back. If I'm going to do that, I at least want to know why. I've only had one long-term relationship age 32. A, that sounds like a call-in. You can email me, at freedomain.com. A. And B, uh, don't do that, man. Please, please, I'm begging you, don't do that. Because if you start to uh, emotionally attach to a sex doll, right, Lara's and the Real Girl, something like that, if you emotionally attach to a sex doll, then you will not retain, I think, the capacity to emotionally attach to a real-life human being. And it will be an act of self-hatred to emotionally or physically attach to a sex doll. Generally, try not to have sex with things you clean by putting through the washer-dryer. Uh, it is. Uh, I, I get that. D- don't give up. Don't give up. And, um, yeah, don't, don't go that route, man. I, I get it's tempting, but you're, you're really cheating yourself. You're fooling yourself. Because you know, you're know you're, you taking advantage of the lizard-reptile brain that can't differentiate between these things, and that is a very primitive part of your brain. And so much of modern life is stimulating the really primitive part of the brain, like pornography, video games, you name it. It's all just about stimulating the very primitive part of the brain. And it, it drags us down to the mere mammal, away from the angels and higher absolutes of our potentially perfect natures so no don't uh don't do it man uh, that will uh and and then the other thing too of course is you will then carry a secret that will seal you off from others right you try, try not to be in possession of horrifying secrets or horrible secrets so to speak that will alienate you from decent people you know, let's say you do meet a good woman and and then she says oh you know i mean have you had any relationships? I mean, you obviously will have to completely bypass the sex doll process, right? And, and you'll feel shame and, and self-horror about that. And uh, just, um, you know, try the NoFap and, and see See, the NoFap will give you courage to go out there and, and hormones and testosterone to go out there and, and meet a girl. So. Uh, we should have a prepper round table. Ah, there's so much information out there about prepping. I don't think it's uh, something that I need to to add to. I mean, just do a search for it, right? I'm a mom to a three-month-old, and I must thank you for pushing me to start my family earlier than I was originally planning. My life feels so much more meaningful with my son than it did before, and I would have been crushed had I missed this. I'm forever grateful that I found your show. That is fantastic. That is funny. So I got a I got an email. Somebody put a poll out on Twitter, and uh, apparently my Taylor Swift tweet was rated the the worst tweet in the history of Twitter, um, which I find hilarious. Of all the tweets I put out, I never would have thought this is one where I said I can't believe Taylor Swift is looking turning thirty. She looks so young. I hope she knows that ninety seven percent of, uh, eighty percent of her eggs or something are gone by now. And and. Uh, uh, of her ex will be gone by the time she's 40. I hope she thinks about having kids. She looks like she'd be really a fun mom, right? (laughs) Nothing insulting, nothing negative, nothing. But people just, I mean, hit the roof. I know why. Of course, I know why. People hit the roof, in particular women, right? I mean, you you ever, do you guys do any TikTok? Do you ever, I occasionally will dip in. I'm Curious, always curious what's going on in the world. And with TikTok, it just seems like there's an enormous number of well-formed women doing fairly frantic dances while grinning like clowns sitting on a, candle. And you get so much attention as a woman. As an attractive woman on the internet, I mean, you own the planet. I mean, you just, you own the planet. Um, it's not like, Tinder and Pokemon, what is it? You both swipe to find monsters in your area. <laughs> but no, it's an, it's an attractive woman. Uh, you, you just, you own the planet. You own the internet. And that's really heady. And when you're that attractive, your biology is saying to you, Get the highest value possible man that you can and that time is running out. Time is running out. So that youthful beauty, that bloom, you know, the bloom has come off the rose, as the saying used to be, in that the woman, you know, they could pinch her cheeks like mad to make herself look like she's got the bloom of youth and so on. And so for a very attractive woman, you know that you can use your beauty to get a commitment from a man with a lot of high-status man, right, an alpha male or whatever, But time's running out. Now, what society has done is basically, like they said, you could be fit and fat. Total lie. New studies have just come out. You cannot be fat and fit. Sorry. I mean, it was just a lie, right? Uh, Just preparing you for Wuhan. Uh, And the other is you say to women um, that... there's no fertility window you say there's no fertility window and that way what what they'll never settle down they'll keep scanning oh there's no fertility window well i i can be beautiful into my 40s into my 50s and you can see some women you know like i mean the madonna stuff that frozen faced mask doll that looks like a kabuki clown i can be hot into my blah 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 i can still have it's like yeah but you don't have you can't have kids right so when you t- say to women there's no end to your fertility window you get an entire culture, an entire society of narcissistic, attention-seeking females. And I'm not blaming the women. I'm just responding to the information that they have. And so modern society, and in many ways, the undermining and destruction of modern society, is entirely based on not telling women about the fertility window and, and hiding it from them. And if any woman regrets having children... Oh, sorry. Not have, if any woman regrets not having children, you, you never let that woman out in public again, right? You never will report on it. There's no songs about it, no movies about it, no novels about it, nothing. There's endless, oh, you're so tired when you become a parent, and oh, the kids are so loud, and they just don't listen, and oh, they, you know, they get up at night, and oh, they got to pee, and they say silly things, and they embarrass me, uh, you know, all of this, like, downward drag, right? Just in depopulation, whatever it is that's going on. But you've got to hold that, you know, the society is just like propping up this fertility window to keep it away. Like the actual fertility window is just keeping away. It's this whole big distraction, right? So, you know, in a classic pickpocket scenario, one of the pickpockets bumps into you, distracts you, and the other pickpocket takes your wallet, right? While you're distracted and jostled and all that, right? And so um, the opportunities for vainglorious, mad, praise and, uh, oh, you're so hot, and the thirst, the thirst, the thirst, that distracts women while time steals their, their eggs, right? So, And it's not just politics. It's like the entire economy, uh, it, it seems, is based upon keeping the fertility window at bay, which is why when you go to the mall, there are way more stores catering to female vanity than there are c- catering to female fertility, right? I mean, there are more uh, shoe and makeup and oils and I don't know what the hell goes on in these places. But there's way more of those stores than there are uh, baby strollers and all of that, right? So when a woman gets addicted to the dopamine of male thirst, that's totally fine. That's completely natural. But if the fertility window is held at bay, then they feel there should really be no end to this so they can never settle down. And then by the time they get... And, and I was I posted this article not too long ago... Even a a large proportion of doctors, like there's this one fertility specialist and so many female doctors are coming to her in the late 30s, early 40s saying, you know, I'm having trouble uh, conceiving. And it's like, well, you're a doctor. They don't cover this stuff. They don't talk about it. They don't warn anyone about it. Uh, There are no cautionary tales or anything like that. It doesn't exist because the leftists have controlled, at least until the internet, the publishing industry and all of that. And now they control the publishing industry on the internet as well, all of that. So yeah, 10 great years, 20, 2006 to 2016, great years. So the only way that sort of female vanity and, and the entire multi-trillion dollar around the world industry of catering to female vanity can be propped up is if you just keep that fertility window away from, from women, right? So then I put this tweet out which was viewed by millions and millions and millions of people where I'm pointing out the scientific facts about declining fertility, that for women 97% of their eggs are gone by the time they're 40. And I can't remember what proportion it was when it's 30, but it's, it's high, right? Now, you think of the amount of, you know, it's, it's sort of like the amount of strain that some guy's lifting Wait for an Olympic record and I come and tickle him, you know, he'd be really mad, right? So, the, to keep this away from women, and then I come along, and millions and millions of women mostly interacted with that post, got to see this fertility window, and it struck a chill in their heart, of course, right? Because it's saying, look, <laughs> everything that you have, you will pay for. Everything that you have, everything that you, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and there's no such thing as free dopamine everything that you have you will pay for and that high you get uh the elevated giddiness that you get when you you know post a picture of yourself dancing in a leotard and all these thirsty men uh and and maybe the money you get and and the resources the attention the whatever that has a price and that price is children (laughs) that price is settling down and having kids so when I, you know, it's like the, the knowledge of the fertility window, it broke out, right? It, it broke out through through this tweet. So, of course, it had to be uh, pounded back hard. And I did the calculation at the time, though. And again, it's back of the napkin, but it's important. I, at a conservative estimate, uh, 60,000 more children were born because of that tweet, which is, you know, a couple of small towns, I guess, right? So, you know, maybe that cost me my Twitter account, but would you sell your Twitter account for 60,000 people? Yeah. To save or, in a sense, to save from non-existent 60,000 people? Totally. If it means 60,000 more babies born in this world, especially to people who read and think and aren't triggered by facts and are going to be good parents probably because they listen to me, if... Somebody said to me, well, you can keep your Twitter account, but that will mean 60,000 babies aren't born. <laughs> Fuck the Twitter account. <laughs> Who gives a shit, right? All right. Um, so, yeah, sorry for the swearing, but uh, I'm very, very glad. And, and I do get emails on this about the people, uh, women in particular, who's like, eh, it's wonderful. And also the other thing, too, is if you don't have kids, uh, you tend not to be as alert to negative social trends. Because you got to think about the um, next... The next generation more. Have you talked about the Eyes Wide Shut movie? Yeah, what's that? Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise and Stanley Kubrick, and they spent like a year in hell, uh, filming that uh, movie. I saw it many years ago. I mean, yeah, it's like creepy satanic stuff. I assume that there's a fair amount of that stuff going on, uh, in the world. Uh, Taylor just needs a few more years to be financially stable enough to have a kid. Yeah. So I mean, look, here's here's the basic fact. I'm probably getting. <laughs> get even more blowback from this, but who cares at this point, right? Look, women are going to mother something, and you either give them babies or they'll mother society into extinction. Like, women are going to mother something. Like, men, we're going to conquer something. And if you don't give us real challenges in the real world, we'll just create stupid addictions and try and conquer them, and then we'll try and conquer enemies in video games and and all this kind of crap, right? So men are going to try and conquer something, and in a free society, you want them peacefully conquering challenges in engineering and business management and, and philosophy and so on, right? Men are going to want to con- conquer something and women are going to mother stuff. And if you don't give them children, they'll mother migrants. And if you don't give them children, they'll mother everyone claustrophobically. And if they're not taking care of the health of their own kids, they'll try and take care of the health of everyone else, even if it means infinite lockdowns and all of that. So, um, of course, so here's here's a basic basic genius thing, right? The basic genius thing that the, the left hard leftists did Okay, get women out of the home, get them into the workforce. Say, oh, there's short-term advantages and all of that, but here's what happens. No one will take care of your kids as well as you will. Simple fact. I mean, it should be blindingly obvious, but I guess blindingly obvious is now <laughs> radical or something. So nobody's going to take care of your kids like you will, and we know this biologically. We know this. I mean, there's no species that takes care of other species uh, more than their own. There are occasionally, I should correct that, there are occasionally birds, you give them even bigger eggs, way too big an eggs. So they don't have an upper limit to the size. They want larger eggs to nest on um, and, and grow. And so you give them an ostrich egg and they don't have an upper limit to what they'll just go to the ostrich egg. But that's, that's a hack. That's not a, a biological um, evolutionary thing. So you get women into the workforce and children grow up with insecurity and anxiety. Uh, in daycare and uh, wherever it is, right? Now, there'll be some exceptions where you have grandparents who raise the kids and so on, and that can help a lot. But children grow up basically without being well taken care of. Now, when you grow up without being well taken care of, as an adult, what do you want? You have this desperate, unmet need of being taken care of. And then some sophist from the state comes along and says, well, I'll provide you health care, and I'll make sure you're fine in your retirement, and I'll make sure that you don't get fired, and I'll take care of you, and I'll make sure that you don't get sick, and I'll... And people are like, oh, well, I didn't get that from my parents, so it's incomplete need within me. Plug in a socket, man. The hole in your heart, plugged in by the fist of the state. So, All right. Bubba you guys watching the Project Veritas stuff? That is actually quite interesting. I think this woman, was it Pfizer, uh, regarding the uh, fetal cells in the development of one of the vaccines? And uh, she's like, well, you know, from a cost-benefit standpoint, we don't really want to bring this stuff up, right? It doesn't really help us. I'm paraphrasing and all that. It's like, that's the problem with the post-Christian society, right? I mean, morality is not a cost-benefit analysis. I mean, animals do cost-benefit analyses all the time. Should I chase this or am I too lame? Uh, Should I... uh Try and uh, 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 take on this lion, or or are there enough hyenas? You know that kind of stuff, right? So cost benefit analysis is at the level of animals, uh, and not even that. Um, you know, you you can see these frogs doing these weird dances to to of courtship, and and the men will try and the male frogs will try and ward off the other frogs and so on. And the cost benefit is, can I? you know and the, the the monkeys do this too like the the big gorillas and the small gorillas like the, when the small gorillas get big enough the big gorillas get too old they'll challenge them the cost benefit analysis is always occurring in the animal kingdom when you see it happening in a human being you just know for me at least you know they're not operating at the level of morality at all it's just it's cunning animal stuff it's really uh, really terrifying i mean it's terrifying when you've got medical providers doing that kind of stuff right so <sighs> Uh, Can we talk about your quote from the other day? You think it dwarfs you, but it's meant to elevate you. It stirred up such an epiphany for me, and I'd like to explore that further with you. I would like to as well, but you'll have to give me more context, I'm afraid. I just straight up don't want to do the social status currency gym game hustle it takes to get to the point where some girls will actually be interested. It's a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, You are... With all due love and respect, and and I mean this with great affection and and positivity, a complete and total hypocrite. Sorry, man. (laughs) You're just a complete and total hypocrite. And and I'm not saying consciously or anything like that. And I have my hypocrisies, too, so I'm not, like, you know, casting thunderbolts down from some vault of perfection. But do you want an attractive woman, right? Do you want some, you know, fat, uh, smelly bad teeth, unkempt, bad, you know, no hair. Like, do you, do you want an attractive woman? If you're honest, right? Of course you want an attractive woman. Of course you want, an attra- you want a woman who takes care of herself. You want a woman who's healthy. You want a woman who's um, not too skinny. Uh, you want a woman who's got nice hair and clear eyes and nice features and, and, you know, whatever hip-to-waist ratio is your particular drug of choice. So you want an attractive woman. Now, that attractive woman... Is going to get going to have to go through a whole process of making sure her hygiene is up, making sure her teeth are kept clean, making sure she uses the right skincare products uh, so that she doesn't break out or get psoriasis or whatever. She's going to have to make sure she uses the right shampoo, and she's going to have to dress nicely, and she's going to have to work out, and she's going to have to put a lot of time and effort into becoming someone that you find attractive. Otherwise, you won't be interested in her. Two way street, brother. It's a two way street. If you want a woman to put the work in to make herself attractive to you, but you say, Oh, I just can't be bothered to put the work in to keep my teeth white and my belly relatively slender, and hair and skin shiny and glossy like a beaver pelt. I just, because it's so shallow, it's so, I want someone to just appreciate me for who I am deep down in my soul. I don't want anybody to be distracted by the shallow appearance of my mere fleshy form. They have to plumb the depths of my soul, like James Cameron in a escape, exploring the bowels of the Titanic. And yet some hot girls work by and you get an erection. (laughs) Because you want to plumb the depths of her soul, I'm sure. So, yeah, I mean, look at who you're attracted to and look at how much work they have to put into being attractive. And they are attractive to you. And if a woman is not putting any work into her appearance, then she's going to be generally uh, overweight, slovenly, badly dressed, not smelling well, uh, not uh, plucked or, you know, whatever, and you won't be attracted to her. So that's what I mean when I say you're hypocritical because you're attracted to women who put care into their appearance and you don't want to put any care into your appearance because it's shallow, (laughs) right? So... I mean, it's a story I haven't told in a while. I'll touch on it very briefly here. I mean, I had this epiphany. What do you, I think this is a guy in his early 30s. So uh, I used to take this Ashtanga yoga class. That was great. Really liked it. And I would chat with the ultra attractive and very intelligent, by the way. She was pursuing higher education to a significant degree. The uh, yoga teacher. I would sit and chat with her after class. You know, you're just looking to see if there's any mutual interest, if there's any whatever, right? And then we would chat 10, 15 minutes or whatever. But it was never like to the point where I felt like I could say, let's get a coffee. You know, you're just looking for these, quote, openings, right? And, I mean, again, not, not a particularly great conversationist or anything, but very attractive and obviously very smart. And I wanted to get to know her better. Anyway, so I ended up not asking her out just because I felt it, you know, that's the cost-benefit analysis, not a moral thing, right? The cost-benefit analysis is, okay, if I don't ask her out, I can still comfortably come to the yoga class. But if I ask her out and she says no, then it's a little less comfortable to come to the yoga class. And I really liked the yoga class and didn't really, I didn't find her so attractive that I was willing to risk the yoga class, right? Physically, she was, but in terms of like just personality and sense of humor and all that. And of course, she had to have a guarded personality because she was so attractive and all of that. Plus, she, worked, she, she taught 18 hours of fitness classes a week. Uh, so, of course, she kept herself super toned. That really can't continue when you get married and have kids. So there is always that concern that she's going to pull the pin on the fat grenade just because she's so used. Like the high school athletes and who get the fresh 20 or whatever, right? So anyway, um, uh, after a while, uh, there was a guy in the change room who was just kind of, you know, leaning with his towel around himself, and he was kind of ripped and good-looking guy, and all of that. And and he was like, uh, uh, basically, he's like, "I'm banging the yoga teacher," and I was like, "Oh God, that's gross! Like, why would you? Why would you?" So she could have just about any man she wants, and she chooses this guy who brags about having sex with her in the male locker room. Now, maybe it was a total lie, but I think he was a good-looking guy enough that it probably was true. And then I was I was looking at him, and he was more attractive than me. And, I mean, that's how good-looking he was, people. I know, more attractive than me, shocking. But, and I remember thinking, ah, I can't believe she'd be so shallow to just go for this guy because he's super handsome. And then, of course, the little voice in my head was like, You're a hypocrite. I'm like, (gasps) Satan? (laughs) Always with the Satan. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, yes. She's so shallow that she just chose someone based on looks. But why are you choosing her? I'm like, oh, yeah. That's a good point. (laughs) It's a good point. Oh, conscience of mine. I was really only choosing her because of her looks. And then I was upset that she was choosing a guy simply because of his looks. Hello, wiki wiki. So, yeah, just wanted to sort of point that out. All right. I mother cats. Oh, yeah, for sure. The cat industry doesn't want women to know about the fertility window. Of course, right? Message to all men. Lift weights. Read philosophy. Learn fixing and building stuff. Women will find you attractive. Throw away the black pill and do the work. Yeah, I think that's a, that's pretty good advice. Pretty good advice. Uh, sorry, I'm just catching up on the comments here. Blah, blah, blah. If you want to survive the end of the world with a bunch of bass preppers, there's a bunch of single guys in our prepper community in Panama. Panama. Uh, he's talking about the country, I assume, not the Van Halen album. All uh, right. I caught some of a Stephen Crowder live stream the other day. He said it's important to treat kids like normal people, i.e. no baby talk, have real conversations, don't abuse. Then contradicted the statement by saying spanking is okay. Oh, really? Oh, that's... That's sad. That's sad. He's actually wrong in two ways there. So you don't... So babies need baby talk. Babies need baby talk to learn phonemes, to learn morphemes, to learn all, you know, all the various components of speech. English is a particularly sung language. You don't speak in a monotone. I remember taking a course in linguistics uh, back in college, and we would listen to the way that this English is a sung language, and I always remember the uh, this this fruity old English guy was what a marvelous old steam engine, <laughs> what a marvelous old steam engine. <laughs> and it's like yeah. <laughs> We are an opera. Everything is uh, a Broadway play for us, a Broadway musical. So, yeah, ba- babies do need high voices. They need, oh, because they, they respond to higher voices because they're around females more, uh, tr- evolutionarily speaking. You, they do need exaggerated speech in the same way that when you're learning a foreign language, you learn it slowed down, right? Guten Morgen. Or when I was learning German, uh, uh, Peter geht an den See. Peter goes to the sea. Ich uger. Ich über Geiger, I practice my violin. Uh, you, you do, and Rudir Gourmet, Rudir Gourmet has an eraser. And so when you're learning a language, you don't listen to people speaking in an excited and fast way. You have to have it slowed down and exaggerated. And so babies need a baby talk because that's how they learn the details of the language. If you speak to them in a regular, normal, tone of voice, they won't be able to break apart the language in their consciousness enough to reassemble it at a faster rate later. So whenever you're learning stuff, you know, you're learning a golf swing, you learn it really slowly. Same thing with a tennis swing. You you get all this. You have to learn it slowly. So you need sing-song language for babies so that they learn language better. So he's wrong about the no baby talk. Have real conversations. But that's not, there's no philosophical content to that. You have age-appropriate conversations. What is a real conversation? You know, your boss yells at you at work, and then you go home to your three-year-old and tell them all about it. That's, hey, man, I'm just having a real conversation. It's like, no, you're exploiting the child as an emotional tampon. You, 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 you're blowing steam off to a trapped audience that can't give you any kind of objective or honest feedback. So, I don't know, have real conversations. Again, I know you're paraphrasing him, but I don't know what that means with regards to kids. Don't abuse. So, yeah, treat kids like normal people. He's wrong. They're not normal people. They're children. Um no, normal people uh don't don't pee and poo themselves. No normal people uh don't breastfeed. <laughs> right? So they're not normal people, they're babies, toddlers and children. Um he, you do need baby talk. I don't know what real conversations mean, because you have, have age appropriate conversations. Don't abuse, but then spanking is okay. Yeah. See, I mean this is one of the problems and I don't mean to refer to Stephen Crowder in this way. Um, But are you willing to challenge your audience? Really challenge your audience, right? Are you willing to challenge your audience? It's the big question. Like, why are you guys here? Because I think you know that I respect you enough, just as you respect me enough, to give you honest feedback, right? So I gave honest feedback to the guy who was thinking of banging a big Barbie. Uh, I give honest feedback to the guy who doesn't want to make himself attractive. Uh, And it doesn't mean I'm right. It just means that this is my sort of honest feedback. So I have a wonderful, fantastic audience. I love you guys enormously because we can actually have these honest and frank conversations. And you know that I'm willing to burn every public aspect of myself to the ground in order to hang on to the truth because I'm not aiming for popularity in the here and now. I'm aiming that philosophy that I can vocalize has relevance 500 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years from now. Absolutely. My business plan is 500 years at a minimum. Now, when your business plan is 500 years at a minimum, then if, say, somebody says, well, you know, what you're doing might threaten your social media accounts. It's like, I'm not saying it was fun, but it's not really a choice that's tempting to me at all. I mean, philosophers have had to sacrifice infinitely more than me in the past. And so if somebody says, oh, you know, you start talking about that fertility window, you're really going to piss people off. It's like, okay, but there's 60,000 people alive who wouldn't otherwise be alive. Isn't that a pretty good thing? I mean, if you were a doctor who safely saved 60,000 lives, wouldn't you consider that a pretty pretty good career move? Yeah. And if, it, oh, well, but to save those 60,000 lives, you might have to give up your Twitter account. It's like, yeah, every day and twice on Sundays. So... Um, with, with Steven Crowder, I don't know him. I mean, I did a couple of shows with him, um, years ago. I mean, he, you know, I think like most people, he just kind of skated past my deplatforming. platforming Again, I don't, everybody's got their different business plan. I think he's trying to have relevance in the here and now, which it's fine. You know, it, it's no biggie. Everybody's got their guide on where they want to look. And I've always wanted to look as, as far, you know, courage comes from the longevity of your vision and no other place. And so the more they can get you to shorten your vision and shorten your plans, the less courage you will have. That's why everyone's trying to drag you down directly into the here and now, right? Oh, this bad thing happened. respond to that. It's like, But if you extend your vision, like what is the good that you want to do in this world, the farther you extend your vision, the more courage you're going to have. Of course, right? If you live in the tropics and there's food dropping off every tree, you just eat whenever you're hungry. You don't have to store anything, you don't have to sacrifice, you don't have to make jams and pickles or anything like that. You you don't really have to evolve that much, so to speak, right? But you live in a temperate to cold climate, sort of Germany north maybe, right? And what happens? Well, you've got a a long winter where it's hard to get food. And so you have to deny yourself. And courage is... Self-denial, right? It's denial of the comfort at the moment. That's why you need courage, right? So the longer your vision is of the good that you want to accomplish, which is why I talked about having kids, makes you more courageous. The longer your vision, the more courage you will have. That's why they try to get you to shorten your vision to just the moment. That's a bit of the hurly-burly of politics. Shorten your vision just to the moment, it, it automatically diminishes your courage. And so because I'm looking not at am I popular in the here and now, but will I help shepherd philosophy to help the world for the next few thousand years, right? And it's funny because when I say, you know, I want people to be talking about what I do a thousand years from now, I do, Uh, of course, right? It's not up to me whether that happens, but I'm certainly doing everything I can to help it to happen. And I don't want people to talk about me like I'm just a guy, I'll come and go, but as a sort of conduit for a philosophy, Right? Like, I mean, if you think of someone like Freddie Mercury as a conduit to music, like brings music to you, you care about the music. Do you care about, you know, when he was alive or did you care about whether he was having a good day or, you know, whether he's had a good bowel movement? That You know, like, you don't, right? I mean, I was sad when Freddie Mercury died because I wanted to hear more of his music and his singing in particular. But I didn't know the guy, right? So... <laughs> I don't want people to be talking about me, uh, but I want them to be talking about philosophy through which I happen to be a particularly effective conduit in in the here and now. So for someone like Stephen Crowder, and I'm not talking about him in particular because I don't really watch his show, but can he go to his audience and say, spanking is immoral, spanking is evil. It is the initiation of the use of force against a completely helpless independent victim. And, of course, the answer is yes. Of course it's immoral. Now, I give people the state of nature, right? State of nature. Didn't know, never heard the arguments. Is what you, you know, I get all of that. So you, you give people a, a lot of forgiveness for the things that they've not known. But, I mean, you go back to post-Second World War, Dr. Benjamin Spock and so on. He was anti-spanking. This, anti-spanking arguments have been around for a long time, lots of data. And one of my very earliest articles in the libertarian community was, is spanking, a violation of the non-aggression principle. I went through the whole argument and and publicized it and published it and and recorded it and debated it. I debated it with Dr. Walter Block and other people and that's, yeah. Am I willing to challenge my audience to that degree? To say, look, according to your philosophy, the philosophy that you accept, the non-aggression principle, don't tread on me, the initiation of the use of force is immoral. Spanking is the initiation of the use of force. And again, you can find it uh, at fdrpodcast.com. Just search for spanking. You'll find the original article from many, many years ago. So that's a big challenge. And that was one of the reasons why the libertarian community and I began to part ways. It's one thing to say, oh, the Federal Reserve is bad. It's like, yeah, Federal Reserve is bad. What can you do about it? Not much. But you can stop spanking, and that's an immediate immorality that you are committing. I mean... To, to complain about the Federal Reserve while you hit your child is to completely miss the entire point of moral philosophy. Right? That means that you, you're only going to apply morality to situations you have no control over and you refuse to apply morality to situations in which you have total control. Total control. It's like buying a car that you can only drive when it's jacked up and the wheels don't touch the ground. Would, would you buy a car? Well, I mean, you can buy this car. It runs beautifully, but you can never actually have the rubber meet the road. You can never, ever put it on the ground. You would never buy that car. But that's what it, when people are like, oh, but the Joe Biden and the immigration policy and the wall and the Federal Reserve and the, right? You can't do anything about those things. Really. I mean, individually, right? So that's where you put your moral outrage. And if the conservatives, the libertarians, the voluntarists, uh, the, the rightists, if they had focused, as I strongly, emphatically, and repeatedly urged 15, 16 years ago, if they had focused on the non-aggression principle, the application of the non-aggression principle at home, in the mirror, with your children, then you would have an entirely different society. We would have now kids who would be almost old enough to drive or old enough to drive who would, you know, as my daughter said in the podcast, she said, didn't say or tell her to say this, she's never said it before, but she said, I'm the least abused person on the planet. Okay, and I think she's an admirable and wonderful human being who's never been yelled at, never been hit, never been punished. We could have tens of millions or hundreds of millions of wonderful examples of the effects of the non-aggression principle. You understand? People aren't going to take our recipe without tasting the dish. They're not. They're not. And if we want to show people that the non-aggression principle works, railing against the Fed is completely pointless. And it's safe. Railing against the Fed never tests you yourself morally. It's just like shaking your fist at a cloud. Cloud doesn't care. Maybe you feel like you're doing something, but you're not. And this is arguments I've made for many, many years, that if we want to show people that the non-aggression principle works, then we need to first live it ourselves, and we need to give them examples of how amazingly powerful the non-aggression principle is. And the first place we can do that is in our families. We refuse to accept abuse and violence and aggression from other people, no matter how close they are, no matter if they said they raised us or pretended to raise us or did raise us. We do not accept v- violations of the non-aggression principle verbally, and, you know, most people just get yelled at by their parents or insulted by their parents or ignored by their parents when they're adults, right? But we don't accept people who violated the non-aggression principle in our lives and refuse to apologize for it or acknowledge it if they beat us as, t- as kids or whatever, right? So, yeah, we, we live the non-aggression principle in our personal lives. My the, the very beginning, if this didn't come out of nowhere, the very first tagline, when I first created my very first website in Microsoft Publisher, I think it was, the logic of personal and political liberty. The personal comes first. You must manifest your values in your personal life before accept, asking people to accept it in the abstract realm of currency creation. Come on. Of course. Of course, Like it's like if you're 200 pounds... I don't know what the measure is these days. Let's say you're 100 pounds overweight and all you do is, is rail against a guy who's 500 pounds overweight in another country. You say, I've got the best diet. I know exactly. It's like, well, well, then if you have the best diet, why are you overweight? Don't tell me to accept a value that you yourself are not practicing. This is hypocrisy 101, right? You, you cannot ever expect anybody else to accept a radical value that you yourself are not practicing. Would you accept an argument for abolitionism from a guy who owned a thousand slaves? Of course not. Would you read a diet book written by a guy who's fat? Would I tell you having hair on your head is the most wonderful thing in the world and I have a surefire way of growing hair on your head? Would you listen to me? No, you would just think it was like a bad joke. You must live your values before you can even remotely think of transferring them to other people. You must. You must if you care about your values. Otherwise, it's all just, it's just a bunch of ducks in a pond, quacking away. And if you most want to apply your values to the areas where you have absolutely zero effect and you recoil from applying your values to the area in which you have the most power and control, all you are doing is you are broadcasting to your entire audience that you really don't believe in these values. It's it's a gig. It's like, uh, oh, I found a niche market. I, I talk about this stuff and, and, and people... Support me and 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 I get advertising dollars or whatever it is, right? But all you're doing is leading other people away from the greatest treasure of life, which is active morality in the sphere you can control. You're saying, oh, let's let's focus on George Floyd and let's focus on the Federal Reserve and let's let's focus on immigration and let's focus on the Haitians and you are leading people away from the actual transmission of values, which is showing how great it is when you live them. You know, I came from a violent and abusive history. I've been incredibly joyfully married for uh, 20 years. 20 years, I was on a walk with my wife this morning, and um, she was talking about someone who said, oh, I'm I'm, I'm unhappy in my marriage at the moment. And I'm like, you know, like I said, I've never been unhappy in my marriage. I've never, I've never been unhappy. It doesn't mean we've never had any conflicts or anything, but I've never been unhappy in my marriage. I came from being violently abused and and beaten up and, and physically damaged to the point where I had to go limp because I was afraid of permanent brain damage to being a completely peaceful parent. It's living your values. It's living your values. So... Again, no disrespect to Stephen Crowder. I mean, he's, you know, he's a funny guy and and I have some sympathy for of course for his health issues and so on. But when he says spanking is okay, he's just saying, okay, well I want a small government. Why? Because taxation is theft and, and I don't know what his arguments are, but I assume as a conservative, uh, he wants a small government. Okay. Because uh violence is bad. It's a bad way to organize society and and so on, right? And but, but we should treat children as people. It's like, okay, what level of cognitive dissonance do you have to have to the point where you say you should treat children as people and hit them? I mean, that's vile. And now maybe he's just not put these particular wires together, but it's kind of his job to do that, isn't it? You know, if you go to the doctor and you say, he says, "Oh, well, you know, I haven't read a medical journal or taken any training in." New techniques in the last 20 years. It's like, well, isn't that kind of your job? To, you know, if you're, you know, if, if he's a moralist and he is, and if he says here's how society should be organized and he does, and if he says here's how you should parent, which he does, then it's his job to recognize the non aggression principle is the most applicable in your life with your kids. That, that's, the, that's the place you can exercise it the most, all the time, every day. You can exercise the non-aggression principle with your children every day, all the time, and you will never, ever get in trouble for it. Never. Because it's not illegal to not hit your kids, right? You, you won't get uh, kicked off social media for not hitting your kids. So with Stephen Crowder, again, I'm not going to pretend to read his mind. I don't know. I I can't possibly tell. But I would imagine a scenario that would somewhat fit is what happens to his audience if he says spanking is immoral. Spanking is a violation of the non-aggression principle. It's it's fine if you've done it because you never heard the argument, but it should have been completely obvious. And the the more people, like, if you hold a value like the non-aggression principle, and, and you've, you've sacrificed so much for it and you've, you've railed against it and you've gotten in trouble for it and people have ostracized you for it and all of that, and you've hit your kids, you understand what a tangled hellscape of internal self-contradiction is going to be exposed if someone switches the light on and says, oh, you're into the non-aggression principle, why'd you hit your kids? Isn't that a violation of the non-aggression principle? So you railed your whole life against the non-aggression principle in areas you had no control over, but in the areas you had control over you repeatedly and egregiously violated the non-aggression principle. So you don't believe in the non-aggression principle. It's just a pose. So you ready for the big wallop here? You ready for the big emotional wallop? Here we go. So you would say to someone like that, and this is the kind of shock that wakes people up. So it's going to shock you. You railed against the Federal Reserve. You railed against the state. Did the Federal Reserve ever hit your children? You rail against fiat currency. Did fiat currency, or the people who enact it, ever hit your children? You rail against Congress! Did any congressman or congresswoman ever hit your children? No? Then with regards to your children, you're the most evil person. Right? Because you can rail against central banking and they would be like, well, central banking didn't hit me. Taxation didn't hit me. Biden didn't hit me. Might have groped someone I knew, but he didn't hit me. So you're railing against the evils of those who violate the non-aggression principle, but your children can't possibly see that principle because you have violated it and you rail against people who've never violated against your children in that way. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what I can do that will. (laughs) So what's this audience going to do if he says that? Well, everybody has the example of what happened to me when I made these cases repeatedly. Right now, again, some libertarians very much came on board. and I think it's wonderful and, and all of that. But I I went through the math and I've gone through it again in my head in more detail this show, your support, what I say, our conversation has survived this long and by surviving this long and broadcasting this much we have together prevented about a billion assaults on children about a billion assaults on children Would you rather have a YouTube channel or would you rather prevent a billion assaults on children? That doesn't even count. Like one tweet generated 60,000 births probably, right? How many people have decided to have children because of my massive advocacy for peaceful parenting and happy life uh, uh, with kids and uh, obviously great delight I take in the presence of my daughter and the relationship we have and hundreds of thousands of people are alive because of what we have done together and I think they're probably some of the best people because they're raised by people who care who listen to this show and this is why I do get these emails like well how are you doing with the deplatforming it's like This show has given life to hundreds of thousands of people, literal life. Prevented a billion assaults upon children. You can take my social media presence and stick it where the sun don't shine to achieve that. I could care less. Honestly, I could care less. Somebody says, you were talking about why you shouldn't try to change people, which was also incredibly profound, and then someone started making stupid jokes. And you said, in reference to what you were talking about, you think it dwarfs you, but it's meant to elevate you. Right. So when a principal comes along, right, and, and I just gave you guys like incredibly brain charged stuff, right? So if, if there are people out there who in the community who rail against violations of the non aggression principle but are aggressive towards their children, and that includes verbal abuse. Verbal abuse is incredibly destructive to a child. Verbal abuse is not a violation of the non aggression principle as an adult because you choose to be there. You can choose to leave that relationship. You get a boss who yells at you and calls you a stupid jerk or whatever. You can quit the job, but you can't quit being someone's kid, and it shapes your brain, right? It really shapes your brain. One of the things I read in a book many, 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 many years ago, decades ago, uh, in my 20s, and uh, the book made the – it was an amazing book. I wish I could remember it. Um, It was – if anybody remembers it, uh, on the back of the book I remember – It was a book about child abuse, and on the back of the book in red letters, streaky bloody red letters, it was like, how do do we make it stop, or how can I make it stop, or how can it stop, or something like that. Anyway, the woman who wrote it said that child abuse is in many ways worse than war trauma because war trauma impacts upon an already adult personality, whereas child abuse shapes the personality of the child. So verbal abuse is a violation of the non-aggression principle when you have a trapped audience. In the same way that if you lock someone in your basement and brainwash them, that brainwashing is a violation of the non-aggression principle because they can't leave. Whereas if somebody's just saying something you disagree with, you can walk away, turn it off, ignore it, whatever, right? So So when you come in contact with a giant principle that could really change your life, and I've given you at least three (laughs) over the course of this uh, conversation, which I have to stop soon, but if you get a giant principle in your life, you can either feel it diminishes you, (gasps) That principle is so huge, it dwarfs me. Like that old Yes song, The Order of the Universe. Oh my God. You can either look at the universe and say, oh my God, I feel so tiny. I'm like one 190-pound blob on a nondescript Goldilocks planet orbiting a Class M star on in an inconsequential galaxy, 100 billion stars in the galaxy, 100 billion galaxies in the universe. I don't exist. Boom. Ah, right? I'm gone. I'm, I wink out of existence. And that's the entire opposite of what you should logically feel. What you should logically feel is, oh my God, my brain is absolutely enormous. It can conceive of all of these things. My brain can conceive of the 14 billion plus year history of the universe. My mind can plumb the orbit of double stars in the Pleiades, Boy, that's quite the John Anderson kick song. Hurry Home song from the Pleiades, a great song. So you can, when you look at something like the universe, you can say, oh my God, that dwarfs me into insignificance. Or you can say, well, wait a minute. If my brain can conceive of the entire universe, my mind is larger than the universe. Because the universe doesn't contain within it its own principles. But we contain the universe and its principles. We are the universe with icing on the side, which the universe doesn't even have. We are the universe with a side dish. So you can look at something like science and say, oh, my God, that dwarfs me. I feel so insignificant. I'm so tiny. But no, the whole purpose of science is to say we can fit. (laughs) We can fit the entire universe and and its principles, which don't objectively exist in the universe. We can fit the entire universe plus the principle of gravity in our minds. We are enormous. It's the same thing with the moral principle. You can feel it's putting you down and diminishing you and shrinking you, or you can say, "Oh my God, with this power, I can really change the world." And boy, can we ever! <sighs> boy, can we ever! It's like that old um, Supertramp song, "Dreamer, you're nothing but a dreamer." Uh, can you put your head in your hands? Oh no! Right? Can you put your head in? Oh, can you put your hands in your head? Oh no! Right? Can you? Can you bring? The contents of your head, your imagination—you can't touch them, right? So then you put your head in your hands. Can't you put your hands in your head? Oh no! So you put your head in your hands. You fall into despair because, right? Whereas the of course the 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 song "Dreamer" came out of imagination, right? So, all right, Uh, another minute or two. I'm afraid I have an appointment. All right. Boo boo. Oh, yeah, the echo chamber people. That's what I was going to start with the rant. i got to tell you, if you come into a community that is talking philosophy and you're like, oh, nobody's pushing back, there's no, it's just an echo chamber, (laughs) right? You are a boring, stupid troll. And it doesn't mean that's all you'll ever be, but that's all you are in that moment. It doesn't mean that's the entirety of your existence, but it's all you are in that moment. If you have, like, this fear, uncertainty, and doubt stuff, it's like you're just kind of goading people. Oh, if you agree with Steph, you're just a sheep, man. You don't think for yourself. (laughs) Um, if you have a rational objection or even an irrational objection, bring it up. Find something specific. And don't post me some rebuttal video someone did five years ago. Think for yourself. Oh, let's see. Oh, there was a rebuttal video someone did about Steph's blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's an hour and a half long and it's from seven years ago. I'm going to post that. And, and that's my, it's like, no, no, you're going to think for yourself, man. You think and you find errors in my logic. You find problems in my source code, you find problems in the empirical evidence that I brought to bear. You do it. Don't just link to other people because you don't know if their claims are correct. I don't know if their claims are correct. And I can either create wonderful new arguments or I can footnote other people's almost always complete incomprehension of what I'm saying. Sorry, I'm not going to review other people's music when I can write symphonies of my own. So... The uh, and you see these kinds of people floating around everywhere. There's a philosophical community, or probably most communities. It's like the the response. I think the rational response is, do you have a specific objection to what's being said? Hey, please, you know, it's a community. I love getting the feedback. I love getting the pushback. I love. I was actually supposed to have a debate last night with a couple of communists, uh, but they uh, chickened out. So yeah, I do. I do like all of this uh, stuff. But if you don't have a specific objection, then this just, oh, everyone here's a sheeple, it's like, or you're just a bunch of followers, or it's just an echo chamber, it's a circle jerk, it's like, okay, well, you're just, you just dumping your verbal abuse on people and thinking you're contributing something. Have a specific objection. Yeah, I don't go to a physics conference and just say, oh, you're just a bunch of sheeple, all you do is you follow Einstein and Feynman, and you just, you know, think for yourself, and, and, and here's a flat earth video. <laughs> Look at me, I'm contributing to sciencing. Idiots. Uh, right, Stefan, thank you for encouraging me to get married young. I get way more sex than the most successful pickup artist and no guilt that comes with porn. Marriage rocks. Marriage does rock. And a healthy marriage, you get way better and more sex than you ever will as a single guy. Absolutely. All right. Uh... Um... Wonder what Crowder's take on circumcision is the exact same as his subscribers. I uh, i made a very conscious decision at the beginning to never get trapped by the approval of people who watch and listen, which is why I've constantly challenged everyone from the very beginning, just as I challenge myself. And I can almost always tell the people who've become trapped by their audience. And they won't... Um, They won't uh, last. They won't last. Uh, Steph, you've made a big difference in my life. I listen nearly every day. I always get a benefit from you no matter the topic. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is lovely to hear. I really, really appreciate that. All right. Another two minutes. The link to Stephen's book about moral philosophy and the non-aggression principle. So, uh, uh, freedomain.com, of course, you can go there, freedomain.com forward slash books. Don't forget, almost novel. Almost novel. You can now get the uh, ebook version as well as the audio book version, but the audio book version is much better. Boom. Um, Steven Crowder is a clown. I wouldn't say that. No, he's a very smart guy and um, a very creative. Um, I've never been much for his comedy, but he is a very smart and creative guy, so I wouldn't say that he's a clown at all. He's also responsible for his employees. Well, you can't be, you know, you can't do that either. I mean, you can, but it just means that. So if, if you pander to an audience, then you can grow your organization to the point where you have a lot of employees. But that's as a result of, you know, not you not challenging your audience. I need to be fired on a regular basis. I need people to storm out and maybe come back. Like on a regular basis. I need people to rage quit what it is that I'm doing and what it is that I'm saying. If it's any consolation, it happens to me at times as well. So let's see here. Literally blew my mind, Steph. You were right. Oh, I I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Any other comments, questions? Are so you guys liking this uh, platform as a whole? They just get down to the bottom. I'm so sorry. I'm so behind on these. Uh... Oh, yeah. I mean, once you, and particularly with morality, um, the, the abstract conceptions of universal morality are bigger than the universe because the universe does not contain within it moral prescriptions. So if you have universal moral principles, you have the universality of physics, and you have identified a, the most powerful thing in human society, that does not exist in the universe. And uh, it's, it's the biggest thing. UPB is the biggest thing, which is why so many people have to ignore it. It's the biggest thing that there is. You love the platform? Yeah. Well, I'm very glad. I'm very glad. Happy to donate for this privilege. You earn my dollars. Well, I appreciate that. I really do. And I, I do really work hard to continue to provide new value every time I open my uh, mouth and eating hole. All right. Well, I should uh, close off here. I really, really appreciate you guys dropping by. I'm sorry I can't do the full hour and a half. Wait. Okay. Go ahead. How fast can you type? (laughs) And don't forget, if you want a call-in show, call in at freedomain.com. I'm sorry. You're going to have to type faster than that, my friend. Thank you, Steph. Love you. Making a big difference in my life. Thank you so much. Have you ever met someone you tell something profound? Then they act like it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, A a big bright light hits you. uh, Your pupils will constrict, right? And most people, you know, there's an old saying, a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original shape. But uh, most people, you'll give them something profound and they realize the ripple effects of that profundity and how it's going to affect all of their relationships and they recoil back into blind, subjugated tribalism. So, yeah, principles are the only thing that can undo tribalism, which is why atheism leads to tribalism because it denies universal principles of morality and therefore the only thing that substitutes for universal morality is genetic in-group preference. So you get atheism, you get tribalism. Uh, it's inevitable, uh, at least if in the absence of philosophy and so on. But philosophy is is recorded for the present but will only really be available for the future. All right. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful afternoon and evening. And have yourself um, a, a great weekend, I'm sure. Well, I'll talk to you guys at 7 o'clock tonight. I'll still do my call-in show. And uh, love you guys. I really, really appreciate your support. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Bye.